Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. For this episode, we are broadcasting to you from the sumptuous living room of my Las Vegas apartment. Our default recording studio is my balcony, but they're insisting on continuing to drag out the desert winter here at the time of our recording, so we'll do what we need to. And let me just tell you a little bit about our show, for those of you who have not tuned in yet before. We take you where you find those most profound discoveries. Where is it that you're sitting in on a private mastermind conversation or meeting that person who has those insights that surprise you and end up changing your life or at least giving you a new point of view? Could you be in a coffee shop, a cigar shop, a cafe? Could you be at the networking event following the seminar? Could you be driving? Could you be at the park? Could you be on your porch? Lots of places you could be. And with my dedication to the laptop lifestyle, that's where we go. So get your pad of paper and two pens out and get ready for something that's going to move you along because we have a treat for you. Today, we're going to be discussing seven questions you'll ever need to know. The only seven questions you ever need to know to find, sustain, and grow your market fit without spending 100K on an MBA. Now, 100K can mean different things depending on where you're at. I know 20 years ago, my MBA cost me about about 40 grand. I'm about halfway, have it about halfway paid off, including the me having also paid off the rest of the undergrad. So we're getting there. Uh, but all the same, I think my MBA was pretty valuable. I referenced it a few times inside my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. So I happen to actually be a proponent of the MBA. So let's not put it in that category. What we're going to do here is I'm going to introduce our guest. His name is Stuart Leo. He's an entrepreneur, business founder, CEO, and podcast host. He has 15 years of corporate experience with a background in consulting, leadership, management, and strategy. An innovator and visionary, he's the founder and CEO of Waymaker.io, which is an intelligent business management platform that helps leaders build a better business in 30 days. And as you tune in, Stuart's going to share with you some practical advice, strategic tips, and business expertise that have already helped to build remarkable results in many organizations around the world. His personable approach, now, trust me, he's a nice guy. I had a nice chat with him in the green room just now. Combined with powerful lessons from his business and personal life will inspire and appeal to all listeners who are business owners, whether they have a team of one or 1,000. All right, Stuart, I carried this as far as I could. It's time to bring you in. Stuart Leo, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, it is a pleasure <laughs> to be with you from the, well, from the sunny, sunny shores of the Gold Coast in Australia to the sunny, sunny winter of Las Vegas. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, it's technically spring here. Uh, it, we just, it just seems to be colder this year for some reason. We've been getting a lot of guests from Australia lately. Very interesting. Maybe I should come down there and check it out. At any rate, what we like to do here is before we dive into what you're going to share with us today, we want you to take a dive with us. I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show. <laughs> Tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Well, uh, I'm I'm pretty much the same as every other normal, ordinary guy out there that just loves business. I'm, I'm, I love working with people. I love serving other leaders and other organizations. And over my, um, I'm going to say short, but it's getting longer lifetime, uh, I've had the real pleasure of you know, diversity of experience in different organizations and different places, whether they've been places I've founded or, or places that I've worked within, uh, to see the inside of a lot of different places. And that's one of the joys of, um, I guess, coaching and consulting life, which was my life before this startup. Right. So I, I love business. I love people. Uh, I love problem solving. And uh, there's nothing better than a, a group of people you know, cracking a problem in business and seeing some success. That kind of flicks my switch. All right. So I am a fan of history. And this is one of the reasons why I ask this is the very first question in every single one of our interviews, because we get to get a sense of the history of our guest and mm. some of what influenced them along the way to help them form their truth in alignment with their discoveries. Mm. So let's start with a very interesting question here. And you gave me a potpourri to choose from here. <laughs> what did the British military discover? And I love military history, so I got to jump to this one. What did the British military discover is the key to high-value strategic leadership? And how can a business owner use this in their business today? This seems like a great place to just jump in. Yes, the, there's two great military discoveries um, that <clears throat> uh, have influenced the Waymaker journey. And right. one of those come from the British and one of those uh, come from the Americans. So uh, uh, the, the British uh, had this challenge when they, were, when they were coming from a traditional world, let's, let's call it from a Cold War environment coming out of the 20th century in the late 80s and 90s into the 21st century into a hot war and you could also categorize that shift from shift from a traditional warfare into a, a shift into a non-traditional warfare world of of agile and adaptive warfare. Right. And the problem, the problem, the big problem that the, the, the military had was that after a hundred plus years of traditional warfare, they had quite bloated strategic planning and strategic decision making processes. And they were they were uh, bloated. They were they were they were um, time consuming. They were difficult, and th and that caused this challenge on the in the theater of war in the battlefield to go. What is the highest value course of action that as a as a leader or a commander on the battlefield I need to take? And 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 as the world was changing into a very agile and adaptive world, 
that obviously is a massive problem. If you cannot make effective decisions quickly and um, and work together as a team quickly in the theatre of war, then you've got some real challenges. I mean, what I, I'm not a <clears throat> I don't like to glorify war. I'm, I'm not a military guy. I, I honour my some of my family members are. I honour yeah um, what's what's being done there, uh, and and I believe that. The military is one of the greatest innovators in leadership and management because there's so much at stake. And, you know, if we make a mistake in organisations, it's uh, it's kind of okay. You know, we, we might go and have a couple of scotches at the bar afterwards going, what the heck just happened, and go home with our heads hung low. But we're not missing limbs or losing loved ones. You know, it's a, it, it's a relatively safe environment, which means we don't always learn those hard lessons as well as when, you know, lives are at stake. So the, the military is a great innovator in leadership and management. And so they've got this problem. <clears throat> and as the world is changing, uh, they need to innovate in how they're doing strategic planning on the battlefield. The, what's called a, a combat estimate. Every military has their way of doing a combat estimate. <laughs> it's kind of like what we would call in the business world a a marketing plan or a business plan or a strategic plan, you know, how, how are we going to win over the next X amount of time? And so you want to you want to build a way of winning that's really simple and effective. And, and so the British military has got this really bloated, difficult decision-making and planning process. The way they solve it is really interesting. The way they solve it is to not make it more complicated but to step back and throw open through some very smart questions the process of solving the problem in front of the commander, which is effectively what is the highest value course of action that we need to take to reach mission objective. And they did that by using a, you know, what we'd call today a Socratic method, a process of questions and answers. And they developed seven questions and they said, hey, Military commander from Lance Corporal through to general, if you ask and answer these seven questions, then you will develop the highest value course of action on the battlefield. And it was it was a phenomenal success. Um, by the late 80s, early 90s, they were starting to embed it in. By the end of the 20th century, it was um, it was a standard. If you go through officer training in the British military today, you will still learn the British military's seven questions. It was phenomenally transformational because it, it did three things to a very traditional, structured, stuffy organisation. <clears throat> Number one, it created an agile or adaptive uh, ground force. In fact, more than just a ground force. This was across air, sea, land intelligence. So it, it, it meant that there was a strategic decision-making process through these seven questions that you could ask and answer hunkered down behind some Humvees in the desert taking fire in 30 or 45 minutes, or you could ask and answer these seven questions back behind the front lines at HQ um, in safety over two, three, four, five days planning out a much bigger operations. But you were still asking uh, the same seven questions. So number one, it was very agile and adaptive. Uh, number two, <clears throat> it had this wonderful effect of 
flattening the organization. Uh, Stuart, let me uh, just briefly pause you. Uh, are these the seven questions that we were promised just so that our listeners are clear or are we going to get to that later? We're, we're going to, this is the inspiration for the seven okay, questions. Okay, very good. So, I, just yeah, wanted to, yeah. I just wanted to take that point of clarity for our listeners. Please continue. Yes, and I'll tell you why they're different in, in Waymaker in, uh, in, in just a few moments. Um, number two was, uh, but great question there, Adam. Uh, number two, it, it flattened the organisation. It, it created this language, this culture, that whether you were a general or a lance corporal, you know, wherever you were in the organisation, you were asking and answering these same seven questions. And, and so it, it just tightened up the whole organisation. It, 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 it meant that new leaders coming through we're learning the language and the culture of strategy, <clears throat> of how to win on the battlefield. Uh, and, and you could listen and learn from the mentors and the leaders and the experienced people around you. Number three, it, it decentralised decision-making. It, it pushed the decision-making process and empowerment to the person closest to the problem, which meant generally that they would have the greatest ability to define the problem correctly and create the greatest action plan to solve it. And right. so this phenomenal effect. And, and so when I was coming out of corporate life um, 10 or 12 years ago, <clears throat> uh, and, and look, I loved corporate life. I had a had some of my best and worst times in corporate life. We, we've all experienced different <laughs> corporates. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. Um, you know the best thing about corporate life is there's lots of there's lots of zeros in the budgets and there's lots of people to get things done. Um, you know you've got lots of uh, systems and power and strength and but you know what sometimes to change things to to actually go hey something's not right I want to change it, it it's you know it's bureaucratic politics. Uh, oh. <laughs> I've just touched a nerve there. I can hear Adam. Um, I, I am I am speaking for all of our listeners on this one because if I had a dollar for every one of these stories I've ever heard, I would have many, many, many dollars. It would probably take care of that hundred k for the MBA that we're paying these days. That's right. Exactly. Go, go get me another one. That's right. So I remember going. Uh, I was a leader in sales and marketing, and then and customer experience and product and stuff, and. And I remember trying to just do simple things like change some fields in a in a web page or a CRM and 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 you know exact some change. And it was like three months of committees and subcommittees and politics. And you know, I'm I'm a very bad employee when it comes to things like that. Um, I'm the kind of guy that's just like, ah, don't make don't make me talk to twenty people. I'd rather just kick the door down and <laughs> if it if if it breaks, I'll fix it. You know that that kind of guy. Which is I will I will <laughs> I will give you my four meeting attendee types after you finish this that'll be my gift to you keep going okay awesome love it uh fantastic i have learned to perhaps you know soften that stubbornness but um so i'm coming out of corporate life and um a little bit jaded and uh and i read this story you know probably some mckinsey article or something about the the british military and i'm like uh -huh. how, how cool is that like that is amazing um and it's still pretty fresh you know it's still a pretty new story and I'm like, well, if the British military, which, you know, come on, um, I'm an Australian. And so we have a, a love-hate relationship with our colonial masters. Um, uh, the, the, they can be pretty stuffy, you know, at times. Um, and yeah. so I'm like, if, if, a, if a stuffy 
uh, autocratic, you know, British um, organisation that is, you know, as traditional and as old as, old as the hills um, can transform itself into a phenomenally adaptive and agile fighting force at scale, then why can't a small to medium enterprise? Why can't? Sure. Because you know what? The, the problems are the same. The same kinds of problems that the military world was facing coming out of the 20th century into the 21st century are the same kinds of problems we all face in business. We've moved out of this traditional world. We've had digital disruption, financial disruption, pandemic disruptions, uh, geopolitical disruptions. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And 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 business today, in fact, I was, I was listening to something the other day from Patrick Lencioni. Now, Patrick Lencioni is one of the, the godfathers of modern consulting. And the statement he made was, I'm not dealing with a client across America that has a, a business plan longer than a year. You know, let that kind of yeah. sink sink in for a moment. Let, um, let me let me let me repeat that. <laughs> Their business plan only extends out one year. If that, sometimes so, so, it's only so, a matter of quarters. So, so they haven't gone to the retreat and they haven't uh, created the PowerPoint decks to show year one, year three, year five, and create all these benchmarks that will probably outlast the typical employee retention rate, even at a good company these days. Yes, and and by the way, wow. <laughs> I'm I'm not a proponent of doing all those things. I'm a proponent proponent of setting a a great vision and a, and a three or a five-year goal or milestone sure. and then working quarter by quarter. But it tells me that the business world, and we see this in our research all the time and when we talk to customers, that the business world and, and organisations in general are in a state of hyper-disruption and are more often than not in a state of reaction and survival, not proaction and right. navigating. And, and, you know, it's that, it's, it's that old, I love it, you know, Zig Ziglar, I think he said it in the 1970s. I don't know if enough Zig Ziglar is still alive. I hope he is. He's an awesome motivational speaker. And he said, it's not the way the wind blows, but how we set the sails. And, and you know, as business owners, we cannot control the sea. We cannot control the wind. Right. Leave that to Jesus when he walks on water. Um, uh, but what we can control is how we set the sails. And, and I think what the British military cracked was a very simple and effective way to set the sails and to create a very agile, adaptive, transformative culture that meant you could, you could very easily reset the sails according to the changing conditions around you and within you. Is this making sense? making dollars and cents. And Jimmy Dean uh, of the sausage breakfast sandwich making company or whatever they do uh, has a similar saying, when the winds change, adjust the sales. Love it. Yeah, exactly that. Love it. So I'm coming out of corporate life. I'm like, wow, if the British military can do this, then, hey, why can't, uh, why can't an organization? The problem was when you read the British military's uh, seven questions, you know, they're designed for warfare. You know, what is our enemy? What are they doing? You know, what are their advantages? Right. Yeah, basically, how do we kill them? How do we blow them up? How do we control the, the battlefield? Which uh, is not always the best questions to be asking inside an organisation. It's, uh, 
you know, we, we want to win, uh, but we're not kind of out there in business world to blow things up. We're out there to build things up. And Speak we're for yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, some sometimes we need to go blow things up. That's true. Um, but the point the point was, I, I think I think the I think I need to rewrite these questions. You know, what would it look like if we rewrote these questions? And and so could and that's pretty much where the mil, the British military story stops. There, it's like, yep, awesome, go to town, well done, uh, well done, British, you've created something amazing. You know, use that for its intended purpose. But what about the world of organisational leadership? What does it look like there? And so, you know, won't tell a lie. For about six or seven years, uh, I, I I had this passion, and behind the scenes, I'm 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 working with clients in 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 my old consulting company, um, where I'm rewriting these questions. At one point, it was five, then it grew to six. And for a few years, I'm doing everything possible to avoid them being seven questions to, you know, be not just like the British military. Right. And in the end, you know, after much research and testing and all that stuff you go through, which is pretty messy, it's like, yeah, I think there's seven questions and there's no way getting around this. There's seven questions. Uh, and, and we developed seven questions that if you ask and answer. Here we come. Consistently and regularly then you can find, sustain, and grow your market leadership. And just like the British military, and here's the kicker, when they ask and answer the seven questions, they've got some technology in their hands. This isn't an analog process. You know, they might be hunkered down behind some Humvees in the desert, uh, but you know what? There's some tech in their hands, and that tech is helping them ask and answer those seven questions faster, better, more accurate, with more detail, with greater intelligence. And so we built that for an organization. We were like, how do we do that? And and so we started to kind of build this diagnostic tool that in five to 15 minutes would reveal the growth gaps in your organization, present that back to you so that when you came together as a leadership team or you're just on your own in a coffee shop and you're just like, what the hell's going on? Uh, you can step back, you can ask and answer those separate questions, you can have a strategic decision-making process that is going to develop the clarity, the alignment, and set the scene for the results that will be transformational across your organisation. And that's it. That's the secret. That's the methodology. That's the, if you ask and answer these seven questions, which anybody can get, by the way, they're on our website, waymaker.io, click on learn, Waymaker's Leadership Curve, the seven questions, you'll see them, you can download them, you can play with them, you can even ask them for yourself. Uh, and 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 if you like them, jump in and take a free trial of the software. Uh, if you ask and answer that regularly, then you will start to build the, the organizational talk, T-O-R-Q-U-E talk, um, power, uh, that starts to drive your business. And you will get what the British military got, number one. Uh, what did they get? They got agility and adaptivity. Two, they got flattening, which improved collaboration and decision-making and leadership development. And number three, they got decentralization and empowerment. More people could make more effective decisions, uh, more often creating greater wins. Uh, and, and that's, you know, we, we spent a long time doing that with clients in, in a previous consulting company before going, actually, we think we're a technology company. We, we better just platform this and, and go to the world. And, hey, that's our, start, that's, that's our startup story. That's how Waymaker was born.
Absolutely. So I see the seven questions right here, and we may or may not list them, but I did promise you and our listeners, uh, when you mentioned meetings, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm, I developed this model a while ago for how to make meetings suck less. I love it. I love it. Please. You go. Principle, Principle number one is, and I cover this in my book in detail. If you have called a 30 minute meeting, you best be done by the 30 minute mark. Because as soon as you cross over that 30 minute mark, your voice will sound like the teacher on peanuts and any message you have to deliver, they will gladly shoot the messenger because you requested (laughs) and received permission for 30 minutes from people who are more and more pulled between multiple objectives, goals, and deadlines. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you're disrespecting them if you're running over. The next item comes down to how you optimize the time. If it's a meeting where everybody's going around telling the same stories and giving updates, then you're wasting everybody's time. So whenever I find myself in charge of a work group, in charge of a committee, in charge of an organization, and there's a team meeting or a status update meeting or something along those lines, I have three requirements for the people who I call the, let's see, we have the the ones who I call the participants. Within 48 hours before the beginning of that meeting, they need to submit to all the other participants in writing, and it can be an email with bullet points. Actually, we don't want term papers. We want this simple. Three mm-hmm. items. A, what are you working on? What, are, what have you accomplished? What are the updates? B, what questions do you have? And what areas are, do you need support from the group as a whole? C, what innovations, if any, do you have to consider for moving the organization forward? The idea is, the idea is, is you're not sitting in that meeting for an hour, listening to people yammer, earning participation points like they conditioned us to do in school. I like it. I like it. Think about, think about how many meetings you've been in where people have asked questions that everybody knew the answer to already, just so they could be seen as having participated, contributed, been Mm. engaged and involved. How about the idea that you can't just say yes or no, you have to give some detailed answer. Question will come around to me sometimes and uh, I'll hear the ramp up that goes on for about three paragraphs. I already know what the question is, but I see Mm. the presage and they go on and on and on. Finally get to the question and I say, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> like what? What, what? what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, or, you know, I agree or that's fine. I can do that. I can help you, whatever. I don't need a dissertation to take up time to convey that message. And 100%. then there's, and there's my other favorite. And I see this with meetings all the time, that in an effort to, to create a sense of inclusivity, they end up 
putting people out on the edge in a way that can cause discomfort. Have you ever been in a meeting where right before the end, they have to go around and make sure that everybody has had a chance to speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you ever, yeah. think, that, do you ever think not everybody wants to speak? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yep. Mm-hmm. So, and so in my model, I've broken down the people in the room into four groups. You have your leader, your facilitator, your director, your manager, whoever sets the agenda, whoever is the one who says, we're in session, we're adjourned. That can be one person, that can be two people, it can be three people, whatever. It's the people mm-hmm. who are in charge. That's group one. Group two are your participants. These are typically representatives of departments, projects, work groups, initiatives who have something to report, who need support or guidance or advice on something, and who have innovative ideas. That's the second group. The Mm. third group are your seconds, which means, let's say, for example, that uh, Stuart Leo was the leader of the work group on how to acquire more gourmet cat food for the kitty at lower price. And I say that because my cat's here right now and (laughs) I have to to give her a cameo. So you're the leader of that group. And I attend with that meeting with you as your second. That means I don't really have a speaking role unless you call upon me to add significant detail, unless you need me to verify or clarify something that you're stating as a presenter. My actual role there is to be visible with you to give you strength in numbers as a participant mm-hmm. to be your eyes and ears while your mouth is working mm-hmm. and to be your debriefing partner afterwards. All of this put together gives me an additional role where if you can't make it to the meeting one day, because I've been identified as your second, I will have the credibility to speak in your stead mm-hmm. and be, and be, and have that and have that recognized. So that's the third group. So we have our we have our leaders and facilitators, we have our presenters, and we have our participants. We have our seconds. The final group are the observers. These are the people who want to hear it straight from the source rather than through a memo. These are the ones who want the visibility of having been in the meeting. Just because they want to be visible doesn't mean they have anything to say or want to say anything. You're perfectly fine not calling on them at all or limiting their participation to, okay, does anybody else have anything? And leave it open for anybody who wishes to raise their hand, but then being judicious about how much you let them speak, lest you get the people who ask the questions who everybody already knows the answer to so they can get their brownie points. And finally, Stuart, have you ever seen a phenomenon of somebody who, if they're asked if they have anything to add, will take several minutes explaining how they have nothing to add. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the classic, oh gosh, what's happening? What's, what's going wrong here? I timed somebody once and I and I saw the trigger. They said, well, I have nothing to add, but so I I took I took a marker of the time and I just sat and listened and listened and listened. And eventually I interjected, I said, you've now spent 13 minutes explaining how you have nothing to add. I want my lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that. That's uh, so the four groups. If I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, the the leader or the meeting owners, the the facilitators, the people in charge, 
Yep. The the participants, they're the yep. people who are leading work groups and teams, and they're coming to the meeting for updates, reports, discussions, because they need support right. or decisions made. Yep. Then you've got their seconds, the people who actually aren't there to speak or participate, but their their eyes and ears while their team leader is speaking and participating, and they may right. be called on to speak if needed. Yep. Or if one day the, uh, the the participant or the team leader can't attend, they've actually got the continuity and the credibility to step in and, and take that role. And then the fourth, I think you said with the observers, the people who want to hear it from the source and they need to kind of be there but not participate in. <coughs> Have I got that right? right. You, you, it's, like, it's like you read off right off my PowerPoint when I created this as a discussion topic. Well, good, good memory. There you go. Exactly. I, I, love it. I think that's exactly. a, it's a great framework. I think right. that's wonderful. And, and you know, you, if you really help people understand the role they're playing inside the meeting, then they can play that role effectively. And that's just a great example of clarity and organizational effectiveness. I love it. I think it's sensational. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, I want to dive into a couple of the seven questions from the Waymaker leadership curve, which folks, I'll say it again, can get from your website at waymaker.io. So one of them really intrigues me, and this is something that folks, including myself, are constantly reassessing, sometimes guessing, sometimes pinpointing, sometimes a mile off. It's actually question number two. What is our market? Who's our ideal customer? What do they value and what perceptions do we need to build? I'd like mm. it if we could break this one down a little bit and get a little bit of a sense of your process or recommended process for how we figure out who we're actually supposed to be serving in the first place. I have a process through my podcast reach system through which we help entrepreneurs launch their podcasts. It basically involves the development of several avatars and concerts. So I'd love to hear how you do it. Great. Uh, well, let me just break this down and <clears throat> um, I'll set the scene first. The seven questions um, cover six what we call functional areas of the organization. And then the seventh, which is the, the question of action, you know, what have we got to do? And so those six areas for context, if you're listening, start with vision and purpose. So vision purpose to market, to strategy, to business model, to customer experience, which picks up how we acquire, retain and grow customers through sales, marketing and service. And then employee experience, how we acquire, retain and grow talent through principles right. and culture. And, uh, and then that leads you into the final question, which if you ask and answer each of the first six, uh, you'll end up with lots of things to do. Uh, and, and actually, this is the problem where most organizations stop. And so I'm, I'm just setting the scene and I'll get, I will answer your question. Yes. <laughs> um, Please but do. The, pro the, the problem with most organizations is they, they tend to just, you know, work around, if at best, the broad areas of the organization, develop kind of 50 things to do. They often forget to prioritize. And so, question seven is what are the one, two, or three things that, if delivered in the next quarter or a half, shift the needle on the organization, which is a very powerful question to ask. It forces you to not do things. So, when we come back to question two, put it in context what is our market? Who is our ideal customer? What do they value? 
and what perceptions do we need to build? You'll notice that each question um, always starts with a what. What is our vision? That's question one. Is it driven by our purpose? What roadblocks are holding us back? That's question one. Question two, what is our market? Yeah. Who is our ideal customer? What do they value? What perceptions do we need to build? So the very first thing you're being forced to answer in these seven questions is, is a statement or an answer on the what, the foundational what. And if we don't know our market and therefore our ideal customer and therefore what they value and therefore uh, what perceptions we need to build, then we've got a huge problem. We actually got to start with exploring that market. And so if we do know the market, but we don't know the ideal customer, then okay, we know the general market. We might be, let's use an example. Let's let's pick a business that both of us might know. Uh, both of us might know. Well, we're both podcasters. So the podcasting industry. Okay. So that that's that's a great uh that's a great example. So the market is um podcasting industry. Um we might narrow the market down to business podcasts. Um, and so that's our market. We're in the market of right. doing a business podcast. Okay. For, in- for instance, yes. For instance, yeah. Um, so we know the market we're playing in. Okay, cool. That's where we're going to choose to play. But but who now is the ideal customer? And in answering the ideal customer, we would have already answered question one which would have said, what is our vision? Um, Is it driven by our purpose? And when we answer that part of question one, is it driven by our purpose? We're actually starting to state the problem because every organisation, their purpose is to solve a problem. And and we've got to be really clear about this because most organisations start to go skew if. That's a bit of an Australian term. They go crazy or they, they get scope creep. When they start developing a purpose outside the reason uh, for why they exist. Now, an organisation exists to solve a problem for a customer. That's why it exists. And and so when you answer that problem, so your podcast um, solves a problem in business education, inspiration, and helping people move their business forward. Is that fair? Yes, very fair. Great. So if I have a problem, and that is I feel stuck in my business, one of the solutions to feeling stuck in business is to listen to some educated and inspirational people around, okay, here's how you get unstuck. There's the solution. Problem, I feel stuck, business owner. Solution, hey, listen to some other business leaders talk about how they've got unstuck. Learn some insights. If you apply them, maybe you'll get unstuck. Am I kind of making sense here? Yes, you are. Excellent. I'm just letting you run for now. However, that's still pretty broad. We could we could actually delve into a niche, start to niche down. And as we start to niche down, we've got to start, start really drilling into a problem statement. And you'll find in the Waymaker Toolkit um, a, a problem statement, which starts to unpack okay, what is, what is the real problem? What, what is the symptom? What is the root cause out of that? And we'll, we'll start to lead you into a place that says, well, what is really the, the job to be done and who 
has the real burning hair, if I can use that phrase, whose yes. hair is on fire that wants this job done. So who's who's the ideal customer? And, and that comes from understanding the problem. And so if I said to you, um, you've developed a, a podcast, who's the ideal customer? Who has... What's the what, what's the problem you solve and start to describe that problem in personal terms? The way we look at podcasting is to view it as your key networking, client attraction, and celebrity expert branding tool. If your primary goal as a podcaster is just simply to get lots and lots of listeners and downloads and you're treating something that should be a result as a goal, our system is not designed for that. Our system mm-hmm. is designed for how it positions you as a celebrity expert brand within your niche, within your marketplace, and provides the vehicle through which you build powerful connections. As I like to say, hosting your own podcast opens conversations that lead to closed deals and expanded opportunities. It could go pretty much anywhere. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I, you know, one of, you know, some of our competitors will get into, well, it's about connecting with influencers. Okay. Yeah. And then what? Mm-hmm. We answer that question. The then what? So do you help potential podcasters become celebrity expert podcasters? Is that, is that what that's you do? The just, that's the gist of it. Yeah. We Excellent. had, we had one that, uh, just graduated, which means their podcast just went live. And already their podcast website is becoming the nexus of what appears on searches for not only their own name, but also a key phrase that they've been looking to make inroads in for years now. In addition, it is the centerpiece of their efforts to grow their network under the principle that your net network is your net worth. And they have potentially 75 people lined up to be guests on that show. Fantastic. So here's, here's, here's how we drill down. So we start to say, well, look, the problem is uh, I'm an unknown with an idea that can change the world. Yeah. You have developed a solution to enable that person to make the shift from an unknown to an, a celebrity expert leader. Bingo. To, that's it. So you've created a shift. So that's that's so the, the shift. I, so have, the, I have an anecdote. I have yeah. an anecdote if you'll allow me. Yeah, uh, go for it. One of my one of my clients who's been with us for a long time. She came to Las Vegas a few years ago to attend one of the leading industry events for her niche. So I met her met her for dinner, and she noticed a phenomenon that since she started her podcast. When she was at this event, she had people coming up to her saying, I love your podcast. I tune into episodes. Hey, I heard this episode. I thought it was really great. It created a shift where people were approaching her to open up conversations as opposed to her being yet another consultant with a business card asking, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a great example. So the, the market you're in is business podcasting. Yes. The ideal customer that you serve is someone with an idea that can potentially transform an industry. Yes. So that's the ideal customer. So they've got to yes. be an unknown person with a new and innovative piece of IP or thought leadership 
that want to become a thought leader off the back of that. So there's a good description. So that's a great ideal customer. You, you can very quickly discern if somebody is an ideal fit for your service off that criteria. Now we, we answer the third part of the question, what do they value? What is it that they value? And you could probably answer that. What are the top two or three things that they really value um, through this process that they're looking for? What is it? They, that, that- they value not just collecting social media followers and I put this in air quotes, friends, but actually making friends, making connections. And mm. they recognize the futility of every single script that's out there. They're like, oh, just DM the person your whole life story and invite them to a call to get to know each other better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or say, hey, how you doing? Which isn't creepy at all. Mm. Or, uh, at or, or and I got one of these just the other day. It's like they said, Hey, so so you're the creator of the reach podcast system. Does that mean you exponentially help people reach new customers? And I said, No fucking shit, Sherlock. You just took my tagline <laughs> and turned it into a question. Try being interesting. Love it. And so and, no- I, and I and I and I stated it that way because A, my listeners love when I go off on those little bombardments every once in a while it's one of my trademarks and more importantly i wanted to really key in on the frustration we don't like when that gets done to us Mm. we Mm. don't want to do it to others so how do we open a conversation with somebody who's basically a complete stranger so do you think that you making a, a a social media connection either accepting a friend request or a connection request and then a half hour later they're in your dms and they say something like, hey, I saw your seven questions on the Waymaker leadership curve. And I got to tell you, this is exactly what listeners to my podcast need right now. Would you like to be a guest? Do you, think, do you think that your response to that would be more likely to be either yes or tell me more? Yeah, that, that's going to that's gonna create an authentic relationship. That right that- there. That's, yeah. that's the answer to your question. And so the number one thing they value is authentic relationships. Yeah. Okay. Then there might be two or three others that they value. They might actually value the commercial opportunities that come from those authentic relationships, but they value authentic relationships first. That They recognize that that's, that's a leading kind of path towards those commercial opportunities. And so let's let's say what are the maybe real quick what are the other two or three things they might value outside of authentic relationships? Yeah, what are the other two things they may value? Hmm. Is the ability to make new friends quickly and potentially mm-hmm. have valuable relationships, as you've said. Yep, and to expand their reach through the power of reciprocity. Hmm. And I'll tell and I'll tell you and I'll tell you one other one too, is getting themselves booked on other people's podcasts, live streams, live stages, being a featured webinar guest, being the interview subject for a clubhouse room, and so much more. Mm-hmm. You have so much of a greater chance of getting all those things when you've already featured somebody on your network because now you are 
not only have you extended reciprocity and in inviting them in the first place, you're now giving more reciprocity by offering to return the favor. That is going to go so much further than yet another long, boring peach, boring pitch email from another agency that says, your next great interview guest. Really? <laughs> After I've told you how many times to fill out my damn form? <laughs> okay. So so, so, so so what happens is, and uh, and I and I used to run a podcast booking agency, is you get a lot of these pitches that never even get response. So they get really nasty responses by people who don't e- obviously didn't even read them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, okay. whereas if we've already engaged, now it's a matter of, okay, I helped you. I gave you some platform. Now let me help you some more and share something with your audience. Now mm. take it away, mm. Stuart. Okay, brilliant. So um, what is our market? And I'm answering this question for you. Uh, what is our market? Our market is business podcasting. Well, that's a huge world, you know, and we're up against massive competitors um, that have got $100 million contracts with Spotify and others. So, you know, it's a pretty tough market. But who's our ideal customer? You know, who could who's really got the burning hair, so to speak, that wants to be a, a part of the service you offer? Well, actually, the people that have got this great idea, but they don't know how to take it to the world. They want to become, they want to go from unknown to known and what yes. do they and that's the shift you create um so you're not really interested in managers or or ceos that don't have that you're interested in people who have interesting stories new ip and things to bring to the world right and they 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 value three things they value authentic relationships valuable relationships and the expansion of their reach and influence through reciprocity so therefore what are the things that that your business and your podcast stands for? What are the perceptions it needs to build when people think of your network reach? They've got to think of, that's a place where I get authentic relationships, valuable relationships, and I can expand my reach and influence through the reciprocity of the community. You see how the question starts to frame up? What is, yes. what is our market? Who is our ideal customer? Who has Who really has the big problem underlined from question one? What do they value? Okay, these two or three things. Okay, now we actually need to start to build these perceptions about us. How do we do that? And so perceptions are the underlying foundations to brand. So if we want to own a market, be the number one, number two, number three leading brand in our market segment, then we've got to make sure that what our customers value is what we're known for. Does that make sense? Dollars and cents. Exactly. Great. So when we ask question two, <clears throat> we're kind of going on this contextual journey. Well, what is our market? Who is our ideal customer? What do they value? Therefore, what perceptions do we need to build? Now, the very first time you ask and answer that question, you may be laying down the foundations. Yep, we're in the business podcasting world. Yep, we talk to um, thought leaders who are unknown that want to become known. And they value this, this, and this. And actually, this is where we need to sharpen our messaging. I don't think we're, we're building our perceptions in this way or that way. We've got to do this. And so what you're, what you're doing then, the second time you answer it, that clarity you formed from the first time, 
the, the next leader to the table that's sitting around the strategic conversation with you, they're actually learning. <laughs> they're going, yeah, that is our market. This is our ideal customer. This is what they value. But actually, yeah, this is where we're weak on those perceptions. These are the improvements we've got to make. This is what's happened in the last quarter or a half. Can you see where the question's going? Oh, yes. Uh, and, and so it has this um, effect on organisations of not just giving you something to do today, you know, what have we got to do to improve the business, but teaching and empowering and educating those around you with the core foundational tenets and insights, the clarity and the alignment uh, of, of the business. And, and see, businesses change. Businesses change from the inside and from the outside. They change through market conditions. The world's changed around us. And they change every time we add a new team member or remove a team member or something else. Attitudes and behaviours can change. So organisations are constantly changing on the inside and the outside. And when we have a rigour, such as the seven questions, that creates the awareness of what's going on around us and within us, and re-establishes the clarity of what matters and realigns people around the core tenets of what makes this organisation great and then surfaces the continuous improvement elements, we get strategic compounding results on the business and we, and we get what the British military got, an agile adaptive organisation, a flattened organisation that's growing new leaders and building more clarity into the next generation and the ability to push power to those that have the insights that 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 are greatest and closest to the problem is that is that a gr- is that an example? Can you kind of see how question two is unfolding as part of the seven questions? Oh yes, yes, yes. And uh, and seeing as we actually are near the top of the hour here, I knew we weren't weren't going to get through all seven. But I know, given your holistic and detailed approach to these things, that would be a great place for us to begin and draw our listeners to discover more. So. Since we actually are just about out of time, I want to reiterate one thing first off, is for everybody to visit Stuart's website at waymaker.io. That's waymaker.io. And when you get there, you're going to want to click on the link in the menu that says learn, and then go to the segment in the drop-down menu called the Waymaker's Leadership Curve. And that's where you're going to learn about this process. Scroll down a bit. And you'll find the seven questions that we promised you. They're for you. We just had a detailed discourse about question number two. And as you go through it, you're going to see how so much of your subsequent journey will grow from that. So before we wrap up, Stuart, aside from visiting your website and checking all that out, is uh, what is one step or one thing that you would suggest our listeners do right now as soon as they finish streaming? If you are a business coach or business consultant that want a way of transforming organizations that that is consistent, regular, and deep and meaningful with demonstrable ROI, go check out our certification program. Uh Uh, We we partner with coaches and consultants. We empower them and license them uh, to use all the stuff in Waymaker Academy that helps you ask and answer the seven questions uh, and transform organizations into greatness. If you're a business owner or leader, hey, jump on, play with the seven questions, either just answer them in an analog way or take a free trial for 30 days and it will take you through the diagnostic. 
You can ask and answer the seven questions. You can actually get into detail and start the journey of going, what are the one or two or three things that if delivered in the next quarter or a half, shift the needle on the organization? And if you find value in that, subscribe, great, and do it all again in the next quarter. Uh, And I promise you, if you choose to just take the time, 30 to 45 minutes to explore that, then you will find areas to improve your business and find the next bit of breakthrough. Fantastic. That's awesome. So, Stuart Leo, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me, in education. <laughs> Adam, it's, it's, a, it's wonderful to be with you from, from Australia to the, uh, the sands of Las Vegas. It's been wonderful. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.